Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Araminta Show. a brand new episode of Casual Chats. It is episode 30, and we're starting off with something really special. As usual, I'm Patricia. And I'm Kevin. And today we have ourselves a very special guest. You may know him as the creator of such shows such as Doug, Allegra's Window, PB&J Otter, and he's done many other shows and cartoons. We have none other than animator, cartoonist... And all-around awesome guy, Jim Jenkins. Jim, welcome to Casual Chats. Wow, that's an awesome introduction. Thank you. That's awesome. Yes. Ever since we met you last September over at the Slime Book event, we really wanted to have an opportunity to have you over on our podcast. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I was very nervous when I met you, especially when I had the Doug doll. <laughs> yes. Kevin, do you have any questions? Because um, ever since we started the Nickelodeon tribute, you've always talked about how much you love Doug. I, I'm infatuated with Doug. It's one of my all-time favorite shows, and I used to watch it religiously on Nickelodeon. And I really hope one of these days we will finally get the DVDs because I, I want to watch it again. <laughs> well, thanks I, for I, watching. And, and, you know, obviously, Doug changed my life, but it's cool to think that there are other people that, that stuck with it and listened to the stories. That's really neat. It, it, truthfully, and I'm being all honesty, it, it really inspired me to write a journal. It really did, because I, when I was a kid, I never really thought about doing that, and then when I watched Doug, it really inspired me to chalk down all my experiences, and when I look back at it, it's just like, wow, I can't believe that happened to me on that day. <laughs> I think that um, that's a, an example of I wish I had had the, the vision to do that when I was a kid. I I, right. I, I doodled. So I didn't keep a journal when I was a kid so much. I do now. But back then I didn't. Uh, but I did doodle a lot. Oh, wow. Um, well, I, I guess the first question would be, uh, just to, 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 to tell our viewers, what came up with the idea of Doug? What was the origin of Doug? Um. The thing I like to say about that, great question, thank you, good, good, a good starting place. Um, and it really, I just keep going with this idea of doodling. I mean, Doug is not a self-conscious piece of development. It, it really is something that emerged out of my subconscious. Uh, it's uh, definitely my, it's me, Doug is me. It is my sort of exaggerated, twisted, uh, hopefully in a good way, uh, memory of being a kid. And being 11 and a half years old, I grew up in a, uh, just uh, north of Richmond, Virginia, in suburbia. And, um, you know, it, like Doug, it was full of ups and downs and whatever, but it was pretty awesome. I have pretty great memories of being a kid. Oh, cool. And um, so that's really, that's really where it comes from. 
Now, were there any of your fond memories that you ha hadn't had the chance to put on Doug, whether it was the Nickelodeon or the Disney version that you really wanted to put it in? Wow, great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. Let me think. That's, that, uh, you know what? I have one um, oh, you just really? made me think of. Well, a lot of the, especially the original stories, I mean, the, the early Nickelodeon stories really are uh, based on stories from the past. I mean, there really was a Roger and a Patty, and my best friend's name was Tom, but uh, he played the role of Skeeter, you know, in my life. There was a real Miss Wingo, blah, blah, blah. But um, what I wish I could do, I want, I have one more, at least one more Doug story in me. I, I hope I get to do even more, but I would love to do what happened to Doug 10 years later. Oh, wow. I'd love oh, yeah. to talk about that high school reunion at the BB Bluff School and he's gone off everyone's gone off in their various directions and to see what happened and to give a little bit of uh, closure to some of those relationships uh, I just I just think there's an audience out there that would be interested in that oh definitely are you kidding people would love that put that, I in, would love that. Put that in Kickstarter everybody will be going crazy for that exactly I like that idea <laughs> I'm write that down first donation yeah, I mean, if we can get Reading Rainbow back and have the donations filled up in less than 24 hours, then Doug, the after years, with them going to BB Bluff High School reunion, I mean, people would love to see that, Jim. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, I would, I would love to do it. I mean, there is a, a little piece of that that I would, you know, connect to what really happened to me and just keep that alive. But more importantly, to really... Follow through on all these characters and what, what what would be some logical places for them to end up. Cool. Uh, you have any questions, uh, Kev? I do. It's it's it's. I apologize if this jumps a little bit, but one of my favorite episodes is Doug saves Roger, and. I just like how Roger has always picked on Doug, and then finally he gets his just desserts when Percy comes into the picture. And then, uh, unfortunately, I feel so bad when Doug actually does save Roger, and then Percy come, is now going to chase after Doug. What was the inspiration for the, that episode? The inspiration comes from trying to make this point uh -huh. that Roger, you know, if, you, if, if anyone has watched the show from the beginning, Roger was pretty classic sort of a two-dimensional haha -ha, um, bad guy. You know, he was like the Fonz was, or so, just sort of a tough guy. It, but I wanted to see that shift to where he's really sort of the obnoxious member of that gang, that group of kids. And he really, he just sort of plays out his reactions whenever as the, the hard guy, the tough guy. But he's, he's really not antisocial. He, he really wants to be there. If you, if you notice, he just keeps showing up, you know. But the cool thing I want to tell you is that uh, I had an opportunity to have a conversation with the real Roger when the Doug oh. movie came out. And we were going to do a premiere in, in my hometown of Richmond. And he had moved out to the Midwest somewhere and was a some kind of a big uh, uh, executive somewhere. I think it was at a nuclear power plant. It just sounds like I made that up, but it was just funny. But I said, gee, Roger, I, I was afraid you were going to want to pound me for the way, you know, I, I depicted you as a bully and whatever. And he just laughed and said, no, no. He said, I had people over top of me. I was just older than you. And that's just the way it works. And I thought, wow, he just said it all, you know, that he, 
we're just there's always someone uh, you know above and below and you're just moving through so i like that wow that's cool that is great now yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you another question, and I'm not sure if you've gotten this or if you if somebody asked you this recently, but I need to know uh, what was your experiences like working on Pinwheel and Hocus Focus. <laughs> well, first of all, you just blew my mind. I mean, you have you have gone back to uh, the you know it sounds like we've gone back to the creation of television. I'm gonna talk about me inventing the cathode ray tube or, or something, but. Um, that's the very beginning of my career was, uh, step, I, I had long ago when I was in high school, one of the few moments, uh, in a, in a life of, I don't know what I'm going to do next. A show, a kid's show came out on TV, uh, that had puppets and animation and it was funny and it moved fast. It was one of those few moments where I looked at the TV and went, that's what I want to do. And that show was Sesame Street. And I wanted, oh, yeah. to, that's what I wanted to do, you know. And um, just, it's a long story, and I, so I won't tell the long version because it just takes too long. But it was just me ending up at the right place at the right time in Columbus, Ohio, where Ohio, I was in Ohio State studying animation. But uh, a show called Pinwheel was started there as one of, a number of, of shows uh, that Warner Communications was starting to experiment with not three channels of television, but 30. Ooh. And it was just, you know, one of the channels was going to be a preschool show called Pinwheel. And that was the very, very beginning of my career, was working on that show versus just uh, doing artwork for it and later becoming one of the puppeteers on the show. And uh, that is, you've gone back to the 19, early 1980s. To just give you an idea of just how far back you went. That's that's incredible, especially since when doing research, when we were when Kevin and I was, were looking back on all the Nickelodeon shows and reviewing them, and I was looking at the credits and I was like, wait, is that Jim Jenkins? Wow, that's Jim Jenkins' name on the pinwheel credits. <laughs> well, I'm just a kid. I, like I just said, I was in I was a school, you know, graduate school aged kid, but um, you know, it too. You know, Hocus, I didn't mention Hocus Focus, but it was, I was a live actor uh, doing just a lot of very silly characters uh, on that show. Uh, but to come to New York, which was very uh, ominous to me, I was just really put off by how huge and crazy New York is. But I came with the, that job of coming to work on Pinwheel and eventually Hocus Focus. And it just was as fun as it gets just to be a kid doing what he wanted to do on these shows that, that uh, I don't know, we just, we got to play a lot. And a lot of these people that worked around me have went on to, you know, be very successful at Sesame Street and many other places. Uh, so I was in good company and I learned a lot. That's fantastic. Yeah. Aside from Doug being my favorite character, I also love Judy because she was also uh, an aspiring actress, and I could relate because I'm an aspiring actor. And I used to love when she would quote Shakespeare, and Doug would be like, huh? Like, what's going on? Um, if you could picture Judy in any motion picture or film, what would it be? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, she would be in The African Queen. She'd be Catherine Hepburn. Oh, and just you know, just eating the scenery with the, that big personality. Uh, yeah. I just think that it would be so 
something like that that would just be bigger than life, she would be a uh, huge yeah. star. That would be, yeah, uh, that would be interesting. Uh, that would be. I, you know, if, if, if they ever do, you know, the Doug 10 years later, I would really love for her to, like, be, like, a very positive actress and actually, you know, star in these well-made movies. That would really, that would be an interesting thing to see. We have, you know what, this is great that you took me there, because some of this we have to sort of brainstorm out. I'd love to be in a think tank with people that know the show really well. And oh, just, yeah. it would be sort of which one makes the most sense, or is the most entertaining, or fun, or satisfying. Because, oh, yeah. you know, she could be that kind of big actress type, or she could be this performance artist who's just some kind of, Lori Anderson, Yoko Ono, kind of crazy. You know, you just either way, you know? Yeah, she could either be, like, the star of an indie film or an actress in an off-off-Broadway production. Or exactly, like right. That's it. I like that. Oh, yeah, or these B-movie actresses. But I see her, above, for some odd reason, you know, as an actor myself and my good friend Alex DeCorville, who also he wanted me to give a shout-out because he loves Doug and that... And that show is his all-time favorite. He, um, wow. you know, he loved Judy because she's such a hardcore actress. Yeah, and, and he also does an amazing Roger Klotz impression. Yes, he does. <laughs> and, That's great. And it was so just fun. Seeing, and it was just seeing her, you know, aside from quoting Shakespeare, like when she was, you know, when she did the plays and everything, it was just, it was just, we, we always wanted to see her, like, explore more of her becoming more of an actress and, and, and going to Hollywood and everything. I, I think that'd be so wonderful. Yeah, in fact, I was thinking to myself, you know, it would have been really nice if we would have had a spinoff series based off of Judy. Oh, my God. That'd be great. Boy, you read my mind. We were working towards that. I <clears throat> Borrowing from uh, Cary Grant, uh, a, a predictable line, I guess, but you know him saying Judy, 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 uh, <laughs> that was going to be the name of the show. We even compiled her best scenes and took that to Disney and said, "Come on, let us let us do this this spinoff. She's she's so fun and kooky, and uh, it'd be a great strong female lead and all that." Uh, but you know, it just it didn't quite come together. But it's a brilliant idea. Obviously, oh, I'd love to do that. I think it would be a great idea. I mean, if they're I doing so. if they're doing Girl Meets World, and if Mitchell Kriegman is writing his book on Melissa after she graduated from college and being a journalist on things I can't explain, then why not? Let's have a Judy spinoff series. <laughs> I just saw uh, the, the woman that does Judy's voice. Her name is Becca Lish. There was um, on the launch of the book Slimed that uh, Matthew clicks. Uh, was the author of. We went to New York yeah, we last fall. And um, I saw Connie Shulman, the voice of Patty Mayonnaise, and I saw Becca. And it was just so, it made me so happy to just, they're, they're awesome people. And just to hear those voices and whatever, yeah, it's just like, uh, it makes me ache to get busy and do some more stuff with them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. I, I have another question. Uh, what was it? Did you see that? You, when you had done Doug, did you ever watch the recording sessions with Billy and them? And what was it like when you would see Billy, Wes's Doug, and Roger and them doing the voices? Well, I was the director of uh, the voice sessions. Oh. And um, very much, I was the one that cast Doug. And so they, all of those, I had, when. 
Doug was just an idea, and I was just starting to do the pilot for Nicktoons and whatever. Uh, I was working at the Comedy Channel uh, as a director-producer on a on a, uh, a show called The Higgins Boys and Gruber. And um, Billy West is this new guy that moved in from Boston. This is sort of the very beginning of his career, uh, certainly his New York career, because he just arrived. And uh, he was doing some very funny stuff on various shows. And I asked him to, uh, you know, audition or to read for the Doug pilot. And that pilot tested out the roof. And Billy, as that voice, you know, the, the Nick Toons executive, uh, Vanessa Coffey is her name, just said, we're going with Billy. I mean, look at the, the regular, everybody just loved that sound. And, uh, but more to your question, once we got recording, uh, Billy is one of the finest voiceover people I've ever met. Uh, he, he can do something I've never seen anybody else do, and that is, if he was, if it was a scene between, uh, Roger Klotz and Doug, and he does b both voices, he would read the page, in other words. It would be Doug said his line, then Roger would respond, then Doug would speak. I've never seen anybody capable of that. I mean, it's uh, a, an amazing skill. Typically, you would record all the Doug lines, and then you'd back up and, and record against that with all the Roger lines. But uh, he, he was, he's a very special guy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, only Billy West can be able to read multiple people at once. I remember this... Um, interview from Matt Groening in which he would compliment on how Billy West was able to do Fry, Zoidberg, The Professor, and Zab Brannigan all at once without any takes. Exactly. It yeah. was just incredible. Yeah. He, he has a special gift. That's all I can say about that. So um, I have a question, Jim. Um, what made you decide to choose um, the music? Um, you know, like, for example, like when you had Fred Newman come by and he would do the mouth sounds and and, you know, mix that together with the music that would be performing in Doug. What got you the inspiration to do that um, comparatively towards Rugrats, in which they had Mark Mothersbaugh do the music, and the Ren and Simpy show, in which it kind of had like an homage to the 1950s? How did the music play into what happened in your life when bringing it to Doug? Well, um, great question. I, I mean, music and sound effects uh, are just, I, I, I don't know why I would know this. It's just it's something I just feel very strongly. Uh, but I believe that those are part of the storytellers, that uh, the spoken word, obviously, but also th that other stuff really, really shapes the emotions uh, of a story. And um, I had met Fred Newman way back, go back to Pinwheel. When I was doing Pinwheel, he was on a show called Livewire. And we were uh, touring the country uh, promoting Nickelodeon in the early days. And so he and I became friends out on the road. You know, we would be on some gig out in Cleveland, Ohio, or Dallas, Texas, or whatever. And we got to be very close friends. And so we talk about all kinds of art and projects and philosophies that we have and laugh a lot. And I just think that, you know, I knew about him and his mouth sounds, of course. And um, when Doug was starting up, I wanted him to be involved. Of course, as you know, he was the voice of Skeeter and Porkchop and so many others. Mm. Um, but it was his mouth sounds. And not just that, but the way he approaches music and sound. I mean, he'd show up 
with a bag full of kazoos and ocarinas and a tuna fish can. He'd put a little water in and stump and rubber bands and all that weird, wonderful, unique stuff. And he met Dan Sawyer on the Mickey Mouse Club. And Dan Sawyer was sort of the hardcore musician, the guy that could play any kind of stringed instrument and, and, and all, well, all kinds of instruments, really. And, and he wrote music so he could get all this quantified and on paper so that they could build these tracks. And it was a great team. And uh, I'm very, very ready to work with them again on our next project because I just think they bring so much to the storytelling. I definitely agree with you, Jim. I'm actually a huge fan of listening to Fred on Prairie Home Companion. Sure. Mm -hmm. He just came to visit us. I felt like we had a, a wonderful opportunity to get caught up. It was as though we had not been apart for two seconds. It was just amazing. The, just, he's, a, he's just an amazing person. Yeah, he's, he seems amazing. When, when Kevin and I met him at the same yeah. book event, I mean, he seemed like a ton of fun. Oh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, uh, you have any other questions, Kev? Um, yeah, the, the Christmas special with Porkchop, it was so sad. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, what was the inspiration for that episode? Because that, I have to say, out of the Christmas specials on the Nickelodeon, that was my all, I've spoken that publicly, that's one of my all-time favorites. Because I really thought that, you know, I, I like the Rugrats and, and Ren and Stimpy's, but Dark was just, it was just... It had a lot of emotion to it, and I wanted to always know, like, where did, how did that come about with Porkchop? Yes, and also, I need to know about the Halloween special as oh, well. Oh, yeah, we have, talking about specials. Sorry we're throwing you, like, a two-part two question, but those are, like, our all-time favorite holiday specials, including the Halloween yeah. one. Well, having a holiday, you know, growing up, and, I, and this is me to this day, uh, holiday specials, are uh, just little, I don't know, little anchors in your life. I just look forward every year to watching, uh, uh, like, uh, A Christmas Story has become sort of a cult classic for Christmas, and it's just, I, I never miss it. It's just hilarious. Well, have you ever read the book of the, uh, Behind the Scenes of A Christmas Story written by Cassim Gaines? I have not. You should check it out. Um, it's all about the behind the scenes of a Christmas story, and they've gotten some of the actors and some of the people behind the scenes, and they talked about the Christmas story museum in um, Cleveland. It's a really fascinating book. Well, I'll definitely check it out because that's a very big favorite. Uh, but, but anyway, just quickly, just the notion of doing a special because of that ritual of coming back to it uh, as the holidays roll through was important to me. But also, uh, a story really more like um, It's a Wonderful Life. That, that kind of, of tone and texture to the storytelling is very much what drives that Christmas special with Pork Chop. And uh, just to, the stakes are pretty high. I mean, it really has to do with life and death for Pork Chop, uh, or at least, you know, freedom or imprisonment. And, um, to just to let that play out and let a community find itself that you know people are missing the whole spirit of what Christmas and 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 really how humans ought to be treating each other all the way through the year. Um, what is it that could pull them back together and remind them of what's really important? And we did, and hopefully play it out in a way that's also very silly. And, and entertaining along the way. I mean, for people to come up and give testimony that, 
you know, he made a batch of cookies or he saved my hair, you know, he loaned me 20 bucks, all that, just the silly notions of what a dog could do in a community. But um, behind all that was this notion of how important it is for, you know, the village to stay together. And uh, I, I like that story a lot. I just saw it recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful story. Definitely, almost made me cry a couple of times, especially when Doug cried. But it was good because <laughs> I felt that I really did like. And I have to say, like when I saw him and he was getting really upset because he loves pork chop, and that was such a great bond that the two of them had. And you really saw that on like on on children's television shows. I mean, you had Charlie Brown and Snoopy, but you really saw like a special bond. He always came to Pork Chop for advice. Pork Chop was always there. And like, you know, if something happened to Doug, you know, Pork Chop would growl or snarl, but he was always there. And then like to see his best friend like that, it was so heartbreaking, but it was such a great feeling when, you know, they have, you know, they Pork Chop was freed and he wasn't blamed for what had happened to BB. And I, I just love that Christmas special. It was really good. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that y'all watch these things so carefully. That's neat. Oh, yeah. it's It was because I, I, I remember I, when we watched it, Nickelodeon had done, had done a special for, like, all the holidays. And then when Doug was on, I was really excited about that. And like I said, I, I respect and I love Rugrats and the Ren and Stimpy. And they were good. But the Doug one really stuck out to me because I just, you know, here was Doug's friend on, it, on one of the most wonderful holidays. And, you know, it was like you said, it was, it was a tough decision. And then at the end when, when – it wasn't really poor Chop's fault that had bitten BB. And then you feel so bad for Doug because he's doing everything he possibly can, and it's so heartbreaking. And then at the end, you're like, oh, great. And they reunited, and, you know, poor Chop is free. It was a, it was a really good. It was, it was very well written, and I just, yeah, it was, it was very emotional for me when I saw it as a kid. And then when I got old, I really appreciated it even more. Well, I'll throw this in. Uh, that was very well said, actually. Thank uh, you. Just, Thank you. I'll throw in that of the, those are three excellent choices that Vanessa picked out. You know, um, Brennan, Stimpy, yeah. Rugrats, and then Doug, of course. But Doug, right. uh, obviously, it's close to my heart for obvious yeah. reasons. But to me, the thing that distinguished Doug, I think, is it really was following the emotional story the emotional life of a boy. And a boy and his dog is about as important a relationship as it gets. And uh, we really were trying to dial into what uh, kids universally, for all time, uh, what will be the things that they'll be feeling and and caring about. And trying to make that entertaining and funny and all the things we want to do. But that that made it very different from the other two and a a lot of the, uh, I'd say it's something that's pretty rare on TV these days. There's just not much of that going on. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing nowadays. And and, it, it, and it's really like, I, and I'm not bashing today's television shows. They're all unique in their own way, but you really see that. And that's what I really liked about what when you watch Doug, like you had Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy, and then later All Real Monsters and Rocco. But Doug, it just felt so real. Just like Hey Arnold, it felt so real. You can connect to these characters and you could... You're well, you know, you could relate to them, especially when there was a lot of situations. Like I remember that one episode with Doug and, and with the comic book that you know he he ta- he bought it, but he had to, it ended up being stolen, and Doug didn't know about that. Or when Doug had all that money and he had to give it back, 
And, you know, it's like those situations you definitely can relate to, and you rarely see that today in, in children's cartoons. We gave um, our writers 10 weeks to write a Doug yeah. story. And that was, you know, and obviously the writers are writing multiple stories, but each each 11-minute story was given 10 weeks. By today's standards, that's luxurious. But back then it seemed essential because we would have the time then to write many drafts and read it out loud and polish it and argue about it and, you know, have all kinds of uh, things. But we wrote as a bullpen. There was about five of us that were the writing team. And uh, it was a, a tight group, and we were really all making the same series. But, you know, it was a lot of, even inside that, there was turmoil. It was, it, you know, there was a lot of fun, too. But it was, we wanted to get that right, not just in the moment, but we wanted to tell stories that hopefully would be meaningful whenever. You know, I, I kept saying, 30 years from now, I'm going to be able to watch this episode or this, this series. And... Uh, know what it's about, and that it matters. Yeah. So we had, I, would, I asked the writers to, at the top of every script, write what is the lesson learned and, and, and tell us, and what is it uh, that Doug learns. And um, to go through those kid issues and to, to learn with Doug those things uh, was something that we all agreed on, and um, that was great. Oh, that was cool. That's a cool way of, of doing it when you write the script and then you write what the lesson was about. I really respect that as a writer myself because I'm, a, I'm a, also an inspiring screenwriter. And also it had branched out to it stemmed from Doug from writing in a journal from wanting to be a writer. But that's really cool. When you work on a script, you can fall in love with a joke. But I sure yeah. do. Or, or just you go down a trail and turn left just because it's you didn't see it coming or whatever. But... The thing you always got to be called back to center on is the mission of the story. And so the reason I did that was not just to, you know, uh, to, to sermonize, but really to keep us on track about the spine of the story so we can lay, lay the jokes in and all that, but we never drifted, or hopefully would not drift. You know, some were more successful than others, but that's, that was its purpose. Yeah, keep it simplified and not overcomplicate things. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Well said. Okay. Anyway, um, when rereading the, um, you know, slimed in oral history of Nickelodeon's golden age and reaching around the end of the book, um, you also talked about when Doug was bought by Disney, and you were talking about that while you had struggles in deciding about which one that you felt was more personal to you, whether it was the Disney version or the Nickelodeon version, you felt that the Nickelodeon version was uh, simplified. Um, what um, how would you have changed or how would you have came approach the Disney version of Doug that you would have felt a little bit more satisfied as opposed as when you were doing the Nickelodeon version of Doug? Wow. That is a, number one, that's a great question. <laughs> and I, it's, I'm doing wow because I was thinking about this exact notion today, literally. Oh, wow. And wow. yeah, it's, just, it's amazing that you got here. Um, and here's what I'm thinking. This is hot off the press. Nickelodeon was the beginning, and so it is, it's very, you, you don't exactly know how to do it, and so there's that learning curve, but in the learning curve, curve comes that concentration and passion, and most of those stories were coming straight out of the top of my head with the, the stories of, of being a kid, all that. Um, it was writers developing and learning what it is, and all that was what I think makes those early 
uh, Nicktoon stories so uh, amazing in my memory. But Disney's time, I, a lot of people complain about all the changes that happen. Oh, yeah. Well, I made most. I made most of those decisions, so um, I'm guilty as charged, I guess. But um, by the time Disney was coming along, I'm running a studio. Jumbo Pictures is a studio. So it's not just me running uh, a, a Doug series. It's me running a, uh, the responsibility of running a studio. And so now I'm being... Uh, people are begging me to delegate. Please, you cannot be lost in a record of Doug all day. We need you back here to do whatever. And so I was doing more delegating of Doug, especially not in the beginning of Disney, but as it went on. And we made 65 half hours there. That I, I brought in a, what they call a showrunner, who was awesome, by the way. Mark York uh, wrote for the series, and he just so got it. And he's a great guy. Um, and I asked him to be the showrunner on my behalf. And he did a good job. Like any, you know, he, he really took it seriously and did a great job. But it's going to shift. Things are going to change. And I'm not all over all every aspect I possibly can anymore because I'm looking over a bigger thing. So, back to your question, what would I do differently? I think I would probably have sought, seen Doug through to the very end to watch over all those aspects and not have done as much delegating. Uh, to the consternation, I'm sure, of many in the studio. <laughs> but um, in terms of the Doug series, I think it would have stayed uh, more familiar and more on being if I'd done that. I'm sure that when people saw the Disney iteration and the Nickelodeon iteration, although it did have the same characters and somewhat the same animation, sure. there was a bit of change. Like, in the very first episode, you know, you had Doug changing his voice, you know, everybody growing and changing in height. You had Patty had her first haircut. You had them going to the new school. You had the Honker Burger right. shutting down. And you had Doug's mom pregnant with her third child. I mean, that was all implicated in the last, the, in the very first episode. And I guess that really... Right scared a lot of people because oh my gosh there's so many changes going on all at once I, I do understand that there has to be changes to a show uh, if, if it's a continuation otherwise it will come across as a little bit stale but I can understand why people also were fearful of the changes when it did move over to Disney well I, I'll just add to that that was very well said uh, I would I would also add this though I'm getting big picture with you I think a lot of people don't like change in general I think that when I know as a kid, when I went through puberty, it unnerved me when my voice changed and my body started. It was not like, look at me, I'm all different. It was kind of scary. And I think that that's uh, human nature. And so some of that I enjoyed watching. Even the angst it created, I'm thinking, I like that people care. You know, people really do care whether or not Patty got a, her hair cut or not. Right. And I always try to reassure people it can always grow out again as though Patty's real. Um, but it's true that, you know, those that kind of stuff is, to me, reflective of how life is. And uh, I, I enjoyed fiddling with that. It also, let me just say this, too. Changing the story uh, from 11 minutes long to 24 minutes long, that was another big change, shifted the way stories got told. And it helped... Uh, sort of juice up all of us as writers to do those that longer format. We can tell more complex stories. So as their lives are changing, 
the plots got more complex and the the B stories and secondary characters became richer so that people like Guy Graham could be invented and Mr. Dink uh, could, you know, the gags that we always need to have to cut for time uh, could come back in. So, you know, on and on and on. But anyway, that's, that's my two cents about what's, which, which things that helped us with the Disney changes. I completely understand. Yeah. Um, you have any other questions, Kev? I can go on all day, because <laughs> I love that. No, no, this is fine. Y'all have awesome questions. Oh, man. Um, one question I wanted to say was Mr. Bone. Uh, we, it was clearly that, there, that he, he talked and had, like, the personality of Don Knotts. Are, are, are you uh, a, a Don Knotts fan? And, and I know I hate to ask this. Did you like Don Knotts on the Andy Griffith Show or Three's Company? I, I, I had to throw that in here. I'm sorry. That's a great detail. Um, I go all the way back to loving the original early shows of the Andy Griffith show. Oh, and he yeah. was Barney Fife, uh, the deputy. I just thought that character is one of the funniest, I, I, to this day, I would argue he's one of the funniest comic characters, but with oh, real yeah. heart. Uh, and I just liked him. Now, I know that Lamar Bones, the meaner version of that character, but that guy that sort of, He's not the principal, he's the assistant principal, and he's very insecure, and therefore very bossy. That reminds me of, I worked at a grocery store in high school, and the assistant manager was a jerk to me. He's the one that actually said, we don't pay you, we don't pay you to think, which is like, really, you said that? But um, <laughs> it's just that character, I guess I couldn't forget, but it is coming out of uh, that Don Knotts faking it, you know, the bravado. And we tried to get Don Knotts to actually do the voice for real, but it just was going to be too much. He'd gotten uh, some years on him, and it just seemed like talking to his representation, it was going to be too hard. So we found uh, Doug Price, who did an amazing sound-alike and has an amazing sense of humor and brought a ton to that character and, and many others. Oh, yeah. Mr. Bone always said PDQ. What does PDQ mean? I think originally it was pretty damn quick, so I guess in our world it's pretty dead gun quick. <laughs> pretty damn quick. Thank you for, for, thank you for enforcing me on that. <laughs> the things you can get away with. I know. <laughs> wow. It's true. I remember there was that one episode with Mr. Bone, um, and I apologize, I've forgotten the name of the episode, but I, it's actually also one of my favorites, where he has the yodeling trophy, and Doug, and, and, Doug, and it was in Doug's locker, Roger put it in Roger's locker, and he's trying to figure out how to get rid of it. He actually, he gets caught accidentally, he holds it in his hand, you know, in his lunch, uh, his lunch bag uh, with the trophy inside with his name on it. And then when he accidentally, Roger put his foot over it, and on the loudspeaker, he emitted the whole thing, and Mr. Bone just runs in there. It was just, it was just hysterical at the end, but that, that's like one of my Mr. Uh, favorite Mr. Bone episodes. How about you, Patty? Um, I really like the scene in which Roger pretty much sabotaged the news thing, and then he went over to Mr. Bone, and they were just talking about random things, and... Roger pretty much took the entire credit of creating the news thing, and Mr. Bone, they were just, like, talking to one another. And then 
the, then the kids came up with the idea of sending a present for Mr. Bone, and then Roger decides to take the credit for it, and it turns out to be a pair of boxer shorts. And they thought it was a joke or something. And speaking about that trophy uh, episode, Kevin, I really like the end in which Roger had to, like, clean all the trophies, and then, oh, of course, yeah, Roger... Mr. Bone yodeling. Yeah, Mr. Bone is yodeling. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite Mr. Bone episode, Jim? There's one where he has a lordectomy, and he plays it like he's going to die. I mean, he's got that little weak voice, you know, like that. And um, just overly dramatic about the simplest little problem with a wart that he had removed. <clears throat> but in all of that, he decides that Doug is his best friend. And all. it's just putting these characters together in incredibly awkward ways and watch Doug just suffer, you know, just trying to figure out how to do the right thing and how to be kind and all those things, and yet he's, he's in the, the worst kind of jam. So I, I don't know, I'd say that's one of my favorites. I really like the scene in which uh, Mr. Bone and Doug were hanging out in the Honker Burger, and then Mr. Bones was blowing on the milkshake and taking the two straws and making the sound like yes. a <laughs> Yes, you have the guy who right comes there. along and says, you know, discipline is the way to be, and then you go off and saying, or, or, <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> it's, it's, completely it's also a way, you know, as far as um, showing a show about, that's really about kids, and so the question's always, so how do you show the grown-ups? You know, so they're fun to watch and, and whatever, but... Uh, you know, there's a variety of characters. Mr. Bone, you know, was one of the sillier ones. Mr. Dink, we play pretty silly. Where the parents are, I did not want parents, for example, to be this ball. That's done a lot. And I just thought, you know what? That's not how I remember it. My parents were not dialed into the details of me being, a, you know, a kid, an adolescent. But they loved me. They were they set boundaries for me. We were a you know a really neat family. But that to me felt like bedrock, you know, as far as the family holding together. And then you can just start having fun with all these other adults that are sort of come and go out of his life. That all ultimately, no one's too terribly dangerous, but just have all kinds of flaws and foibles and uh, the. Uh, and usually pork chops sees through all of it, you know. But that, to me, was where the jokes were. I have one final question, Jim. Um, well, actually, two. One of them is, um, what kind of legacy do you think that you left behind for a lot of people who saw Doug? And um, what are your upcoming projects? We would love to know. Wow. Two, two questions. <laughs> legacy of Doug. That's a, I don't know that anyone's asked. That's a big picture question, and I really appreciate your asking it. And now my brain is zinging to think. I'm afraid, sometimes I'm a little fearful of answering these kind of questions because it may people just may start throwing up because it's just a little too earnest or sincere or uh, preachy or whatever. Uh, I said that Doug was not self conscious in the way it was. It came about. It came about through doodles. And just a character that was really my alter ego, and it, and it shifted into the Doug thing. But it became very uh, determined and, and, and thought about what the mission of the show was. And so I guess the legacy would be that the, the, the mission mattered, that, that doing the right thing or treating others the way you want to be treated, those kind of principles are universal. 
and they apply to everybody for all time. And we could debate about all the details around that, but I just really feel very strongly about that. And I'd love it if uh, kids in every generation could uh, see that and, and get a glimpse of that. I think that would be uh, amazing legacy. Wow. Yeah. Only the other question. Yeah. Oh, uh, You're okay oh, oh what am I doing now? Yeah. I got. I am. Uh, we live down in coastal Georgia now, and uh, it is a beautiful place. And just yesterday, I was out with friends, kayaking through the salt marsh and uh, looking at seabirds. And a pod of dolphins swam right by our boats, and uh, we saw a shark. And, I mean, just we're just surrounded by nature. And it's uh, something I've always wanted. And a show has come up out of that that really is about uh, a group of kids. It's The tone of it is kind of like PB&J Honor. And they basically go out and learn about the, the beauty and the fragility of, of nature. And, it, you know, the content would be about environmental science and the issues about sustainability. Uh, but I am passionate to get this thing out there. I just think that uh, nature is essential to our well-being, and it's and it's going away. And um, the notion of uh, inspiring kids about that stuff—that's what I'm working on. That's great. Sounds that very is. interesting. Oh, very. You have any uh, other questions right before we conclude, Kevin? Well, I, I I don't have any questions, but I do want to say, and I, I know when we were at the book premiere, I, I was saying this a little bit, but I know a lot of people have wanted to come over and, and say hi and, and also do the time, but I do want to tell, to say from the bottom of my heart, and I mean this sincerely, but thank you so much for giving the world Doug, because I, I learned so much from Doug, and it helped me a lot. Uh, with me, with my, with writing screenplays and becoming a writer, and it was something that I've that I, I not only enjoyed as a kid, and especially just growing up, and it's not just nostalgia, but it also helped me as a person because aside from writing a journal, the things that Doug has gone through, I have also gone through, and I argue with a lot of people because when I tell them about Doug, that it has a lot of special meanings and. I know that a lot of kids in the 90s had also gone through this experience. But, you know, in the 90s, we had so many shows. But this was the one show that I I could admittedly say that it felt right at home. And a lot of things that Doug has gone through, I has gone through. And it had made me such a better person. And it really helped me and inspired me to do a lot of things, which is why I still will always cherish my Doug doll. And I cannot wow. thank you enough, and I support you in all of your works and everything you've done. And I just wanted to give you a big thank you for bringing, for giving the world Doug, because it, it wow. was truly a really great cartoon show. It had so much more, it, the characters and everything, and it's just, I've always wanted to tell you that, and I'm sorry for taking up the time, but I, I had it. <laughs> I, I was glad to have this opportunity to tell you this. Wow. Well, goosebumps. That was amazing, Kevin. Thank you Thank for you. saying that. And I feel the same way too, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. This was a. I don't know. I just got. I, I'm getting ready to. Um, I'm just smiling myself to death. But thank you. It's. Uh, you can it was a lot of work. work feeling. I, 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 I do want to say this though. I go around the room. 
I, I do want to say that uh, when I do have children, I definitely will, I do want them to experience watching Doug, which is why I really hope to God they put out Doug on DVD. If I have to buy the Amazon demand DVDs, I will, but I really want my children to watch Doug. Because, I mean, as I said, I respect all the cartoon shows that are out today, and I'm not bashing them at all. But, like I said, Doug really helped me a lot as a person. And when I have children, I definitely want them to watch this. This is definitely something that I want them to to take into. Because it was such a wonderful, well-written show with a lot of great messages that helped me grow grew up. And, and, it, and when watching it, I mean, like I said, I, I've never felt so emotional when I watched that Christmas episode. I don't want to sound too sappy, or too, but it, it, it was the first time as a little boy that I actually watched it, and I got a little choked up because I felt bad that one of my favorite all-time TV characters is actually crying. Because you rarely see, rarely see that on television. Yeah. And Doug wasn't afraid to show emotion. This was someone he loved. And just to see him cry, it it, it just made me upset too, and and I and I love that, and I thank you so much for bringing up for giving us this this, this show, really. Well, thanks. I think they are available. I I have a set of DVDs um, that I got. I don't know through Amazon or somewhere, and uh, yeah. you can download it from uh, iTunes, I believe. I think that the Nickelodeon ones are available. Yeah, at least most of the episodes. Oh, yeah. great. All right. Well, um, I Thank think you. we can be able to wrap things up. Um, Jim, okay. do you have anything to promote right before we conclude this episode? <laughs> um, well, I, I told you about what I'm working on, and, and you've given me a, a wonderful uh, encouragement about maybe telling that last Doug story. Nice. I think that would be a great movie, Doug's last movie we could call it. And, but, uh, do you have, uh, and do you have like a Facebook or a Twitter or a website that people can go into? Um, trying to think, but I'm definitely on Facebook. You might want to check out uh, a site called uh, Jumbo South. There's a little bit of information there. But uh, yeah, check me out on Facebook. All right, definitely. Um, wow. And uh, that concludes this episode of Casual Chats. Jim, once again, thank you so much for taking thank the time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And that concludes this episode of Casual Chats, and we hope to see you in the next one. So take care. Take care. Yo, 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 what's up? Doug's my name and cool's my game. I got a lot of cool to give and I need the same. So if you like my style and you want to talk a while, just call me. Doug, Doug, Doug. That's my name. That's funny. If you try to ring my number and you can't get through, baby, don't you give up because I really need you to tell me all those things that I want to hear. I need a homegirl's voice whispering in my ear. Yo, Mr. D to you. Dougie D. Gotta go. Don't go. Done.